came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning, Labor Day weekend, the end of the summer. We have one great show for you today. We have Ambassador John Bolton. What's going on in the world? We have... Dr. Peter Michalos, what are we doing to live longer? Harold Hamm on his analysis of the energy industry. Lou Dobbs on what's going on with the economy. We have Attorney General Morrissey. Let's start with Admiral James Tabridi's former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO for four years. And he really knows what's going on. With us today is Admiral James Tabridi's. Uh, he led NATO uh, alliance. He was global uh, uh, supreme allied commander of all of NATO for four years. There's nobody that knows uh, the world more and, uh, and, the, and the effects of things more than uh, Admiral Stavridis. Also, he's with the Carlisle Group. He's chairman of the trustees of the Rockefeller Foundation. My God, a little bit of everything. Admiral Stavridis, I am proud to know you. I am proud to know you, my dear friend. It's good to be on with you. Uh, tell us, where do you want to start? I mean, uh, uh, there's so many problems in the world. Uh, where do we start this morning? I think we start in Ukraine, John. And uh, before we even get to Ukraine, we should pause for a moment uh, on the death of Yevgeny Prigozhin, who was executed by the explosion of his airplane, almost undoubtedly under the auspices of Vladimir Putin, act of revenge for Prigozhin's attempted rebellion about two months ago. John, um, a couple of months ago, I was asked in the media, uh, you know, how long do you think Prigozhin will last? And two months ago, I said, eh, he's got 60 to 90 days. If you go for the king, you better kill the king. And he failed to do that. Putin blew him up along with his uh, coterie of senior advisors uh, on a plane between Moscow and St. Petersburg. So bottom line, it has that impact Ukraine. It strengthens Putin, who was a weakened by this rebellion. Now he gains a little bit of, you'll pardon the pun, a little bit of airspeed. And so uh, Putin is now um, ready to return his full attention to Ukraine. Um, that's the, the bad news here. Here's the good news, John. The Ukrainian military, their counteroffensive in the South is starting, I think, to have real effect. And if they can, the Ukrainians crack through this triple deep Russian defense. Once they break through that, they will have pretty open running room from there to the Black Sea, they can divide the Russian forces, they can flank them, come behind them, and they can start to lay the groundwork for attacking Crimea. So death of Prigozhin, good for Ukraine. The Ukrainian counteroffensive going fairly well, better than it was a month ago. Um, we're going to have a very active fighting season between now and the arrival of winter. Admiral, does 
Putin realized that uh, all the money that his generals were getting were to beef up uh, the Russian forces, they were, uh, as they say in New York or Brooklyn, they were glomming it, and and and, <laughs> and they had, uh, they didn't have superior forces. Yes, he has come to the realization that his generals have failed him, and they failed him not only, John, on matters of corruption, literally taking funds out of uh, the pockets of the Department of Defense in Russia, but also the failures of logistics. The Russians are unable to get the basics, food, fuel, heating, uh, ammunition, uh, capability forward to the troops. A lot of that has to do with bad leadership by the generals and bad logistics. Putin has woken up to this, and that's why you're seeing a lot of turnover in the leadership of the Russian senior military. I would argue, unless Putin gets rid of his minister of defense, uh, Schweigu, and gets rid of the chief of defense, Gerasimov, these uh, problems that he faces are not going to be solved. And that's a good thing from the perspective of Kiev. Now, the Russians uh, on, with the Wagner Group were taking over five or six or seven uh, countries in Africa, mostly because they were very mineral rich. Now, uh, uh, what happens now? Does Putin take that over, or, or who's running the Wagner Group? Uh, the short answer is we don't know yet, but um, you are correct, John. Uh, that's a significant flow of income for Vladimir Putin and the coffers of the Kremlin. It's also significant geopolitical influence in sub-Saharan Africa. It is about four to six different countries where the Wagner group kind of have their clutches into the nation. So if you want to guess, what I would guess will happen is those operations will continue. You'll see a new leader put in place of the Wagner Group. The members of the Wagner Group will have to swear allegiance to the Russian armed forces. They may become somewhat like the uh, French Foreign Legion, a military that fights overseas. And at the end of the day, what Putin wants from the Wagner Group is cash. That's the minerals, the gold, the diamonds. And he wants that geopolitical influence among these nations. He'll get both of those. Um, look for a new leader to be appointed at the Wagner Group in the next few months. Understand. So there's no real leader right now, or is there an implied leader? Or? <laughs> there is not a uh, a single point of leadership in the Wagner Group because they all blew up in the airplane alongside Prigozhin uh, a week or so ago. Understood. Now, uh, where do we go from uh, Ukraine, uh, <clears throat> Africa we've, we've been to? Uh, China and uh, uh, they're they are screwing around and uh, Korea, North Korea is threatening uh, that the, 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 they're training their troops to go after South Korea again. Well, you pick an area. Let's uh, let's do a little bit of China and a little bit of the Korean Peninsula. So starting with China, uh, what we are seeing as the number one challenge for China is not military, it's not geography, it's not geopolitics, it's not tech, it's their economy. Their economy feels very shaky to me at the moment. It kind of feels like the US economy, 2008, 2009. Big overhang in the real estate sector, 
productivity has really not recovered since the end of the pandemic. Um, a general sense of malaise through the economy. Um, many of the high-end entrepreneurs um, are very concerned about uh, the, the influence and the dictatorial policies of the Chinese Communist Party. So that economy is kind of shaky, John. That's what we ought to be watching for two reasons. Number one, that'll impact us here in the United States. If China's economy really falls apart, that's going to have knock-on effect in the global economy, just as the U.S. economy's challenges in 08-09 did, um, huge influence globally. So that's one concern. Second is authoritarian countries often, when they have problems at home, especially economic ones, tend to look for scapegoats outside the country. So you could see a China that becomes uh, counterintuitively perhaps more assertive in the South China Sea as they work to distract the Chinese population from the economic problems at home. So a lot of storm clouds on that uh, Chinese horizon. And then John, to just flip over to the Korean Peninsula for a moment, here you're correct. We see uh, the North Koreans acting more aggressively. They're also, by the way, about to enter a big arms deal with Russia, supporting Russia in Ukraine, US making countervailing moves against North Korea, we just sent a nuclear submarine, first time in years to South Korea. We're exercising militarily with the South Koreans. So watch for tensions to go up on the Korean Peninsula. Watch for China uh, to potentially act out more in the face of their own economic challenges. Understood. Uh, we got a minute or so left. Where, 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 what would you like to tell the American people besides you got a new book that will be coming out soon? I do have a new book. Thanks for asking. It'll be out just after New Year, and it is a sequel to 2034, which is about a war with China in the year 2034. John, this new book is 2054, set mid-century, and it's a good topic to close on. The book 2054 is about artificial intelligence and its impact here in these United States, how challenging that could become for us. I think uh, we, we worry a lot, we think a lot, and we should about the rise of China. I think the rise of artificial intelligence will in many ways be a greater challenge for us. We have to manage our way through that. That's what the new book 2054 is about. Uh, Admiral, I mean, uh, just a tidbit, will anybody believe what the internet says uh, and how do you prove a lie or the truth on, uh, with artificial intelligence? John, you've just put your finger on a central challenge that we are going to have to manage through. There are some technology answers to that. There's some educational answers to that. There are some regulatory answers to that, but we are nowhere in that conversation as yet. We better wake up. That's what the book 2054 seeks to do to help us wake up to those challenges. Let's talk about it next week. Admiral Stavridis, have a great Labor Day weekend. God bless you and God bless America. And thank you for continuing to work for the benefit of the United States of America. Thank you. Thank you, my friend, John. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Bye-bye. You too. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Ambassador John Bolton. Uh, he was the president's national security advisor and one smart guy. He knows what's going on around the world. Ambassador Bolton, there's so many problems in the world. Where do you want to start? 
Well, I think what Russia's up to uh, now that uh, Prigozhin has gone to meet his maker, I mean, I think this is uh, the the outcome of the power struggle in Russia is going to have a huge impact on Ukraine and Africa, really around the world. Uh, Prigozhin uh, and Putin were friends at one time, were enemies at one time. Nobody keeps track of what they were. But uh, we understand that, uh, uh, that China uh, gave orders to, to uh, uh, Putin, if they can give orders to Putin, but they're the bigger, they're the 1,400-pound the, the gorilla representing uh, 1,400,000 people, I guess we could say that. Uh, any chance that, uh, that uh, Prigozhin is still alive someplace? No, I think it's pretty definitive that uh, that he's not, and uh, and so that really raises the question: what is, what does Putin do now? I think uh, the point you just made about Prigozhin and Putin being friends is very important for people to understand, because the the Wagner Group uh, was set up because Putin wanted a military capability that he could use on behalf of Russia in the Middle East and Africa with deniability. So he created. Uh, almost unique in modern times, this private military company. Put Prigozhin in charge of it, got some ex-military people involved, and they developed this operation really that uh, went not just from being military but investing in a whole bunch of businesses uh, overseas and making a lot of money. Putin does not want to lose that capability. He may rebrand the Wagner Group. He's certainly going to put his own people in, but that capability is something that he wants to keep. And uh, and it's important that uh, that the connection with China here is understood as well, because China uh, likes having a Wagner Group capability in Africa uh, in, in particular to help protect their efforts through the Belt and Road Initiative to get economic control in many countries in Africa. Uh, well, why don't me and you can rename the Wagner Group and call it the Russian Foreign Legion? Well, that's not that's not far from the truth, and and it and it goes to the other point you were raising about the uh, uh, the price of oil and what the what what that what impact that can have. Uh, the the Wagner Group uh, is probably almost self financing at this point. So a lot of the sanctions that we tried to put into place against Russia, which which have failed in many respects, especially the oil sanctions, would not undercut the ability of the Wagner Group to do its thing in both Africa and the Middle East, and now obviously in Ukraine. So, so this, uh, this is something that gives uh, Putin a, a, an insurance policy. It's another capability that before it was created, uh, Russia simply didn't have. But gives, it gives Putin the ability to play in Africa, in the Middle East, in ways that even in the heyday of the Soviet Union, Moscow didn't have. Understood. Um so it's up to Putin's court now who he appoints as the number one guy in the Russian Foreign Legion or Wagner Group or whatever. And, uh, I mean, the amount of minerals they're getting from those African countries are unbelievable. Yeah, and that's why the, the recent uh, coup d'etat in Niger uh, just yesterday in Gabon uh, really signals uh, the, the continuing decline in influence of France over its former colonies uh, and, and the ability of the Russians and the Chinese to make significant gains in Africa. I think we in America don't pay enough attention to the developments in Africa, uh, but what China and Russia have in mind is really 
taking advantage of, of the African governments, overthrowing them when they need to, putting in this this uh, foreign legion, as, uh, as you call it, uh, and really exercising control. And I think uh, if we were more attentive to what they would they were up to, there's a lot we could do to help them. Uh, but but as it is now, the uh, the really the administration certainly has no policy on Africa, and I think it's showing. Uh, the the one place that we haven't talked about much uh, lately, but it, it's who is controlling the aggression against the United States of America? Whether it's our universities, whether it's well, we know the Chinese are involved with uh, 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 with the drugs being fed to the. Uh, uh, Mexican uh, gangs and then going up to America, killing Americans. Uh, there is a, I feel that there's an aggression against our country and a lot of Americans don't realize it. I feel that there's an undertow uh, uh, of attacks in different areas. You're a smart guy. You've been in intelligence all your life. Tell me what you feel about that. Well, I think there's no doubt that our adversaries who, who recognize that, uh, that that even today with defense budget levels being the way they are, we, we still are the dominant power militarily. But but so what their uh, strategy is, is to use what uh, people call generally asymmetric warfare to, to engage in cyber attacks, to try influence operations, to undercut us economically never to confront us militarily because they know ultimately what the outcome would be, but to weaken American resolve, weaken faith in our institutions, uh, and to do it in a variety of different ways. That you know, There's a controversy now about this app called TikTok, uh, which is very popular among the, the young people, but it, it's, uh, you know, it's like the story of the Pied Piper. The, the, the Chinese developed this. They've gotten people almost hooked on it. Uh, and it's it's something that they can use to reel in people later. But Chinese influence operations in this country and and uh, efforts really to, uh, to to fragment us politically are vastly underestimated. And I think we're still learning a lot about it. Some of them, like the Confucius Institutes at universities, are just propaganda centers. That's becoming more evident. But we've got to wake up to this threat because uh, we we have not been willing to see it. Uh, I think we do see more of the Chinese threat in the economic area, the stealing of our intellectual property and the threat they're posing to Taiwan and other things. But but this attempt to influence our public opinion without without letting anybody know they're doing it, that's much more insidious and I think long term more dangerous. Understood. Uh, we got a minute left. What else do you want to tell the American people this Sunday morning, Labor Day weekend? Well, I think it's just critical that we, uh, as we go into the presidential campaign season, that, that we recognize what we really know, but we tend to ignore, that our ability to protect our interests around the world depends on a strong, free economy at home. You can't have that without a strong presence internationally, but you can't have a strong presence internationally unless your economy's strong. And all these proposals to increase taxes and spend more money uh, are going to worsen our deficit, worsen the national debt. We, we've just got to have more fiscal responsibility. And, and uh, because we need more defense spending, that's going to mean some tough cuts in domestic uh, programs. But we, we need to be willing to face up to that in order to protect ourselves around the world. 
Ambassador John Bolton, thank you on this Labor Day weekend. Thank you for continuing to speak out for America. God bless you and God bless America. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me, John. The same to you. What is today is Dr. Peter Michalos, historian, doctor, a little bit of everything. Dr. Michalos, uh, tell us uh, what's going to make us live longer this week. Well, this week we're going to talk about the plant world, and the plant world communicates with our microbiome and our gut. And recent studies have found that the higher mushroom consumptions was linked to lower rate of cancer. And they did a meta-analysis of 17 studies involving almost 20,000 patients. And they found that the frequent consumption of edible mushrooms like shiitake, maitake, oyster mushrooms lend a powerful support to the immune system. And more specifically, people who ate 18 grams of mushrooms daily had a 45% lower risk of developing cancer compared to those who did not eat mushrooms. That's 45, wait, 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 I, I hear that number. 45% bigger difference in developing cancer. That in, is in a lot. Patients. It is, it's quite significant. And there are two probable uh, reasons for this. Some mushrooms like lion's mane, oyster, and shiitake, they're rich in ergotothionine, which is a very powerful antioxidant and cellular protector. And the second uh, mushroom, like reishi and turkey tail, are very high in beta-glucan. It's a unique type of soluble fiber that powerfully activates our immune response. So while this study is observational, it doesn't prove that mushrooms directly have caused a, uh, a reduced risk of the cancer. The, the mechanism is well noted, and the following 20,000 people over a long period of time, and it showed that they had less cancer, that's significant. And there are some people, and I know some doctors who advise people to take this uh, mushroom complex mix, and basically they found that it's helpful uh, with uh, PSA and some of these uh, as an adjunct to other conventional therapies. Discuss it with your doctor, but there are some centers, actually there's one in Long Island, one major hospital, one of the chairman of prostate cancer advises people to take these mushrooms. So, you know, I, I myself take one once a week, a mushroom uh, complex, because I figured it can't hurt. And uh, you and I, when we eat, we always ask for those uh, sauteed mushrooms. So I think we're doing ourselves a good service. And the, I think the saute part variety, is not good, but, but the mushrooms are good. The mushrooms are good because they are good prebiotics because they feed the good bacteria. And that's why my goal every week, I count how many plants did I eat, whether it was a bean, a nut, an almond, a cashew, a green bean, a, a Brussels sprout. And then by the end of the week, I say, great. And then my avocado and my spinach. So having 20, I try to do a count, my little game that I try to do at least 20 plant type materials a week. And I find that that is probably based on the science, a very good thing to do. And that's how our ancestors function. And you always feel good. And I, this week, uh, Dr. Michalos, I ordered uh, papayas from, from Hawaii because Gristini's and D'Agostino were out of it. Yep. No, absolutely. Uh, finding finding good, you know, good food is not not an easy thing. And uh, fortunately, we have great supermarkets in New York. You can get quality uh, food and putting quality like high test fuel in your car, put quality food in your stomach, and then it feeds the good bacteria and all good things happen. Anything else you want to tell the American people? 
Yeah, there's a lot of exciting new things happening in the world of diagnostic testing. We talked about the gallery test, the grill for 50 cancer tests, which I've recommended to some people and it's already saved three people who caught their cancer early. But there's also exciting new technology where they're going to analyze your breath with breath analysis. And through breath analysis, you'll be able to find out things like sepsis and uh, other diseases, maybe even COVID. You'll just take a puff in the machine and uh, through this process called chromatography, and it'll be very sensitive and specific and discover other diseases. Even colon cancer might even be discovered, just like it started with Hippocrates when he used to tell people, these students, to smell the breath when you have diabetes, you have kidney failure, you have a certain smell to your breath. So now we're going to have modern technology analyzing the breath, which will be fascinating, and other tests for genetic testing, like IntelliX DNA, and it's going to be uh, quite amazing. And that's what we're looking forward to in the future. Well, thank you, Dr. Mihalos. Have a great Labor Day weekend. It sounds like we're getting closer to Dr. McCoy in Star Trek. They just waved a wand over your body and they knew what was the matter. I Absolutely. And uh, that's why we appreciate for always getting the truth out and keeping everyone up. In the ne- and for the next century, we look forward to amazing discoveries. Thank goodness to capitalism and investment and research and development money that goes into creating some of the finest, most amazing things in the world. God bless and have a happy uh, Labor Day weekend. And let's have a great fall. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is the Cash Roundtable. We'll be right back. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to WABCRadio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. With us today is Harold Hamm, one of the uh, most energetic, um, one of the most entrepreneurial uh, people I've ever met. Uh, He is an energy business and he uh, has a new book, Game Changer, by Harold Hamm. Uh, Harold, welcome to our show this Sunday morning. Tell us uh, about the, uh, the book, Game Changer. Tell us about why America is losing out uh, and everybody else is surpassing us on energy. Well, thank, thank you, John. It's always good to be with you. It's good to be with you again. So I had to write this story, Game Changer. It, t- it tells all about how we became energy independent in America, the entrepreneurial uh, innovation that went into it. And there's one thing that created this whole thing is horizontal drilling. And it wasn't big companies. It was a small company. My, my, my company was very small, you know, when we found a Bakken and uh, developed it horizontally and the Cedar Hill field, which is the first ever 
horizontal oil field in the world. So, yeah, it's uh, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, we pull back on the very things that we need in this country, which is energy, and it drives cost of food, everything else up, cause inflation if if it's not done right. And this administration, let me tell you, is not doing it right. They pulled back on all the uh, permitting of, and leasing of federal lands, and that's 26% of the land mass, and it's about 33%, a third of the productive capacity of the U.S. So it, it, it was a tremendous blow uh, to our industry, you know, what, what's been done. And, you know, they persist in, uh, in doing this bad policy, uh, which does drive up the cost to, to all, all consuming public in America. And uh, solutions, uh, besides getting, uh, you know, I, me and, and you, I believe, uh, do not agree with what President Biden has done. Uh, he has favored, uh, uh, on my end, he has favored electric vehicles, which I think that uh, the American people should be given a choice. Uh, what the uh, CEO of Toyota has said, uh, uh, Harold, was, I'm going to make uh, diesel cars, I'm going to make electric cars, I'm going to make hybrid cars, I'm going to make uh, uh, whatever else there's a, there is. Uh, let, the, let, the, let, the, let the people of the world decide what they want to drive. How, where do you stand on that? Well, you know, we've, uh, we've spent 50 years... Uh, and this has been in the making to become energy independent in America, you know, producing all the oil and natural gas that we need. And here we jump to electric vehicles, which requires all all these metals that we don't have, lithium, uh, cobalt, all, all these things. And where is it? Well, 66% of it is in, in China. So we go right back into dependency again on a, a foreign country that really don't care for us a whole lot. So we we, we just can't learn from from the past, uh, from past mistakes. Uh, instead of being dependent on OPEC, we jump over. Now we're dependent on China. It doesn't make any sense at all. And you're right. Uh, we ought to be given a choice instead of being forced into electric vehicles. And that's, that's exactly what's happening. Now, uh, the, the additional thing is uh, uh, somehow there's an abnormal influence by foreign entities under the, uh, the Biden uh, administration uh, where uh, uh, I believe, uh, uh, well, I, I heard Donald uh, Trump the other day on uh, WABC, he was on with Sid, uh, saying that, uh, in Afghanistan, we gave away Afghanistan, which gave Russia the confidence to go and take Ukraine. In addition to that is we gave Russia the money by allowing them to go to 85 to $100 oil, and they used that money to go after Ukraine, and they also went after uh, uh, seven, six or seven uh, African countries because they're very rich in minerals. What, what, what is your feeling on that? Well, actually, uh, John, it, it went higher than that. Uh, 
you know, back if you back up a year or two before they invaded, uh, you know, oil was about $116 a barrel. So you're exactly right. They they funded uh, Russian aggression uh, by 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 doing that, and you know, it didn't have to happen. Uh, you know, we gave uh, them the money. We gave them Russia the money to invade Ukraine and the African countries. That's exactly right. That's what happened when you when you look at you know what unfolded. So you know it's it's all about national security, and it's a, it's about the handling. I mean, <clears throat> let's just turn back to free enterprise uh, here in America instead of trying to you know meander uh, the system or the process, if you will, like this administration is doing. Uh, we we have a, a summit coming up and. Uh, September here, uh, first day of September, we're in it. We're in it already. Time flies. Uh, but 25th of September in Oklahoma City, talking just about those things. And we have such a vivid demonstration uh, here with the Ukrainian invasion by Russia of what it means uh, you know, when you cut off supplied weaponized uh, oil and gas uh, energy, if you will, and and that's what happened to Europe. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, like I say, uh, this uh, this administration not learning from past mistakes, and here we are about to repeat it uh, going into uh, the, this China situation on on the metals it takes to make the batteries for electric vehicles. Absolutely, uh, Harold Ham, uh, your book again. The name of the book, and I urge everybody, it's a great book. Tell us the name of your book again. Yeah, Game Changer, and it's about how the game was changed suddenly uh, and really, really, really occurred, you know, this past 25 years uh, with horizontal drilling that just changed the entire energy landscape for America. It happened only here in America, uh, but basically allowed us to more than triple our production of natural gas, which saved Europe this last winter, and and basically triple crude oil production here in, here in the country, and it gave us a lot of productive capacity that this administration uh, seems to be wanting to take away. So it's a great book. It's had great response. It's just been out a month, and we're we're, we're approaching fifty thousand copies. So uh, that's already flown off the shelf. So. Great response. You, you never know when you write one of these things, my first book, uh, what the readability will be. Uh, I guess I got lucky, but everybody tells me it reads real well, and, and they love it. So, yeah, uh, thanks for letting the public know about it. Harold Ham, thank you so much, and uh, God bless you, and let's fight for America together. Well, John, good to be with you, and thanks so much. We'll see you soon. With us today is Lou Dobbs. Lou Dobbs is a, a national figure, a political and financial commentator, an author, a television host, and one smart guy. Uh, Lou Dobbs, tell us, uh, uh, where the heck is the economy going? Where, where, where This is Labor Day weekend. Or do we have something good to look forward to? I, I genuinely think so, John, if, if. I repeat, if if we can rationalize a, a number of conflicts within the economy and certainly in the background noise of our political system right now, 
But we are seeing uh, the reintroduction of some confidence and I think even optimism uh, in the markets. Uh, now, how long that'll last, I'm not sure, but I do know that the the effect of the Fed's interest rate policy, they've gotten way ahead of the markets. Uh, but the fact is, the, the, right now, the economy is adjusting to it. We're watching, we're watching the, as in the most recent unemployment rate, uh, the unemployment rate rising to 3.8%. The fact is, that isn't terrible because this is the longest sustained period of unemployment below 4% in the country's history. And that is good. The fact that wages are, are moderating, I would prefer, frankly, prefer, frankly, that they uh, they go up a while because there's a big hole to dig out uh, from for the middle class working men and women in this family, uh, this country's uh, families. It's it's really going to be quite an interesting challenge. But the the capital flows are are, are moderating into some of the uh, tur- turbulence and chaos. We're watching uh, crude oil prices rise. That is a, a real uh, warning signal on inflation. But on the other hand, as economists like to say, uh, we are looking at falling inventories. We still have the capacity with uh, the right political choices uh, to remove those higher prices, those inflationary prices, uh, by going back to a policy of energy independence, which I think most Americans right now would sooner see. And if they don't, if we don't bring uh, uh, oil within lower prices, uh, Powell is going to continue raising interest rates, which will destroy the country. That's my opinion. Well, I, I, and I agree with you. It's if they were to, if they were failed to pause on interest rate hikes uh, this month. I think that would be not disastrous, but it would be a tremendous setback for the uh, the advancement of the economy. That by that I mean uh, slow but uh, strong growth uh, economically uh, and continued uh, continued uh, low unemployment. These rates are. If this Fed decides, if Jerome Powell decides to get to to get out in front, way out in front of these markets. Uh, he's a he, he's a bigger problem than he, than even I had believed him to be. This is just we're seeing very clear signs. We over the last year we have been uh, averaging uh, much higher levels of uh, inflation, uh, but we are now uh, seeing that moderate as well. We have we have lots of good sound uh, developments within the economy. Uh, we're seeing prices uh, on housing that have risen tremendously, moderate a bit. We're going to see the construction industry catch up to demand. We re- again, we have low inventories and housing as well, which is and high rates that are just basically shutting down the sector. I mean, we're very close to that point, John. And I, I would like to see them just acknowledge the Fed, just acknowledge uh, what the, the consequences of any, of any of the decisions that they're likely to take uh, will have. Well, we're under attack in many parts of the world, and, and we're under attack internally by our own people, my, my humble opinion. Uh, the other day, uh, President Biden announced that uh, he wants to make a proposal that anybody with the rank of supervisor, uh, and I think there's three and a half million of the people like that, 
that makes mm-hmm. less than 95000 a year should be eligible for overtime. Uh, any opinion on that? Well, I think I think that the uh, the Biden advisory group group should take a bow because again we used to call this walking around money, uh, didn't we, John? In the old days when the guys were handing out uh, money on the streets, trying to buy a vote well, here one and there. One block away, they the were giving away dollar bills, and if you promised to vote for my candidate, exactly. Uh, and uh, he's he's taken this to uh, to warp speed and lofty levels that ever imagined. He's not only uh, becoming a benefactor to that three and a half million uh, people group, uh, but he is using OPM, uh, which is genius. He's taking, <laughs> taking Ta- taxpayers' the, money. The he's using money. He's taking the employer's money and handing it over to the employees, and he doesn't have to worry about going to Congress for approval or even taking the trouble, as he usually does, to have to put pen to paper and sign an executive order and rule by fiat. So I, I have to give whoever is advising the president uh, uh, big uh, big props for, for clever politics. Agreed. Lou Dobbs, enjoy the Labor Day weekend, and I pray for our country, and uh, we'll talk next week. Amen, John. Thanks so much. Amen. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is uh, Attorney General Patrick Morrissey of West Virginia. And uh, he has done a terrific job. He's been elected since uh, 2012. And he's made a decision. He wants to run for governor. And, uh, well... Uh, Patrick Morrissey, tell us what the heck is going on in West Virginia. Hey, John, it's great to be back on the show with you. I love coming on uh, because I love talking to folks all across the country uh, about everything happening. West Virginia is really at the center of a lot of the national political activity. We're out in front fighting the Biden administration, winning a lot of huge cases to stop all the federal overreach. We've got a huge U.S. Senate race. And part of the reason I'm here today, John, is to tell you, I'm running for governor of the great state of West Virginia. We have a chance to really soar as a state and show people that we can fight the federal government and win. We can fight all the crazy leftists and win. And I'm glad to be here because in New York, it's ground zero of all the crazy things that are happening. And what we're doing out of West Virginia is going to help New York and California and West Virginia and every state in the nation. What have you been your main problems in West Virginia? Uh, you, you've been uh, Attorney General for a while now. Uh, what, 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 do you, what do you see the major problems? Well, there are two things right now that I've been focusing on. One, I'm trying to always protect my job base. Um, so our state relies very heavily on our energy resources, and the Biden administration has been just going after our energy resources. So I fought, and as you know, We've led the way, leading that famous West Virginia BEPA case. I fought the EPA for nine years, and we won. That provided a lot of protection for some of our coal jobs, our oil and our gas jobs. The other really big issue has been the drug crisis in West Virginia. West Virginia is a border state because we see the effects of undocumented aliens through the massive quantities of fentanyl that wash into our state. West Virginia is the highest drug overdose death rate from fentanyl in the nation. And that's what we spend uh, hours and hours every day working on. And as governor, I'm going to be in a position to do even more about that in an exceptionally loud voice to finally list fentanyl 
as a weapon of mass destruction because it's slaughtering our citizens. Now, if you get elected governor next uh, November, yeah. uh, what are your visions for West Virginia? Yeah, so number one, I want to make sure we're putting as many people to work as possible. West Virginia is the lowest workforce participation rate in the nation. That's got to change. And we have plans to be able to attack that and take some of the 65,000 uh, open jobs and fill them. So anyone listening, don't try to bring the crazy ideology to West Virginia, but we have a lot of good jobs available in West Virginia. We need to fill them. That's number one. Number two, we have to tremendously increase our educational attainment. We have a broad school choice law and good uh, charter schools laws. When I'm governor, it's going to be the broadest in the country. We're going to give every kid an opportunity to have the best possible education. So West Virginia is going to be out in front in terms of the regulatory reform, broad tax reform, and then school choice that's unmatched across the country. That is uh, that's so important, and, and we're being attacked. Our country is being attacked from so many directions. And, uh, uh, Patrick, uh, they're trying to change our way of life, and a lot of Americans like their way of life the way we grew up. You know, they are, John. And, in fact, uh, first, uh, the size of our government, the federal Leviathan, continues to grow at a crazy rate. And these guys have gotten into the schools, you know, the far left, and they're trying to uh, change the hearts and minds of our kids and produce a lot of people who like socialism, like totalitarianism. But when we grew up, we cared about freedom. We cared about the Constitution. We cared about taking care of our families. And you don't see that same dynamic with these ideologues on the other side. So I am standing up. When West Virginia gets to fire back and win, and we punch a lot higher than our weight class, it makes a difference for the country. And as AG, I get to lead my office forward against the crazy ideas of the far left. But as governor, we'll bring to bear 25 different state agencies and all of the red states stepping up and fighting back. And that's why we're getting so much support not only in West Virginia, but nationally for our campaign. Uh, now, uh, the uh, other day, uh, last week, uh, I spoke to the Attorney uh, uh, General of Missouri, and he was very excited because he won a very big case in his, in, in his vocabulary. He, he won that uh, trans, people can't change kids under the age of 18 on this transgender thing. And I think some of those mom or dads or, or people that are trying to change kids that are five, six, seven, eight years old, the transgender where these kids don't know any better, I think they should go to jail. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, John. This is child abuse in the worst possible form. And in West Virginia, we don't want people who are three or four or five years of age to have their sex changed. That's utterly ridiculous. I mean, look. Once people get to 18 or 19, but uh, when they want to do what they're going to do, the reality is we have to protect our kids. And you see that these radicals on the other side, they want to have gender surgery changes. They want to make sure that the locker rooms are filled with biological males in the women's locker room. They want to allow you to self-identify to go into the bathroom, you know, at a moment's notice. And then, of course, there's the other issue, which I'm fighting and leading on nationally, which is a lot of people want biological males to play women's sports. West Virginia has been out in front opposing that because we think it's absurd, it's unfair. Everyone knows the differences between men and women, 
And as governor, I'm not going to need to ask anyone what those differences are. This is a threat to our country, and we have to stop this complete and utter nonsense. I agree 100%. Attorney General Patrick Morrissey, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you for, for uh, uh, telling the people of what you want to do. You did a great job as Attorney General, and I look forward to... Uh, uh, you know, supporting you in uh, running for governor of the state of West Virginia. John, thanks so much for having me on. I love coming on your show. You're getting a lot of important information out in New York and across the country. And if people want to learn more about me, they can go to patrickmorrissey.com, two R's, one S. Go in and learn more about how little old West Virginia is stirring the shake that's going to help change America. Well, God bless you. God bless America. And, uh, uh, let's uh, let's keep America uh, the way we, me and you, grew up. And uh, thank you so much. Thanks, John. Great to be with you. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to wabcradio.com. Go to podcasts. Go to minicasts and play back your favorite segment. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning. We'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.